I'd invite you to turn with me once again to Luke chapter 2, the Christmas story there. We looked at that yesterday morning as well, and uh, now we're going to kind of complete the story. We looked at the first uh, 14 verses yesterday. We're going to actually pick up our reading at verse 8 and read through, through verse 20, so we'll kind of further the story. For those of you who are visiting, some of the family, we welcome you. We're glad that you're here with us. Just an update on kind of what I've been doing over this Advent Christmas season. We've been looking at the angels in the Christmas story. And uh, we note that, that angels took a prominent role. And that was for good reason. Because God had been silent, at least as far as Israel was concerned, for some 400 years. There had not been the voice of a prophet speaking on behalf of God, and there had not been the voice of an angel bringing a message from God. And so now all of a sudden, angels start popping up everywhere and bringing the message of what's happening in this birth, this, this world-changing event. God is breaking into this world again. And so the angels share that message. Of course, whenever angels show up in the Bible, they always have to say, fear not, don't be afraid. And uh, that was true of these angels too. But as we've been looking at, uh, the various uh, reasons to fear are not just the angels showing up in your face, but uh, some, some reasons to fear that, uh, that the angels were trying to allay uh, were things like um, Zechariah who brought the prayers of the people to God and the prayers were the prayer that he brought to God in the temple was mostly uh, a prayer about the coming of Messiah and God breaking into history. And the angel said, your prayer has been heard. And when God hears prayers, he also acts. And so next Gabriel goes to Mary and, and says to her, greetings, you who are highly favored. And it was only after he said gave those greetings that she actually feared, not for his presence, but that she was going to have a role in this. And uh, he says, don't fear, for God is now acting, and he's acting through you. And then he goes to Joseph, and he says, and God has plans for you too. You're going to be an important part of this child's life as his adoptive father. And then to the angels, as we saw uh, yesterday, he comes and says, do not fear for the glory has returned. The glory has come. God's Shekinah glory that was always a sign of his presence that had not been in the temple for some 600 years all of a sudden shows again in these angels. And the glory has come. It's a picture of God returning his presence there. God with us, Emmanuel. So that's what we've been looking at. And now, now we're going to kind of look at how do we respond to all of that? How do we respond to these messages of the angel, these fears that they're trying to allay for us, for Israel, for the various people in the Christmas story? And so that's our focus this morning. How do we respond to Christmas? So let's read, starting at Luke 2, verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. 
Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Would you join me in prayer? Father God, we thank you again for this Christmas story and that it's not just a story, that it's reality, that it happened in it, and it has an effect on our daily lives, not to mention our eternal lives. And so help us this morning as we reflect on some of the characters in the story and how they responded to understand how we need to respond this, this Christmas and in the new year. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I said, uh, this Christmas season we've been focusing on the stories of Jesus' birth by noting the presence of angels. Now, angels have kind of always been part of Christmas because they are so prominent in the birth narratives. And so maybe our, our Christmas cards or figurines of angels portray maybe a nice, sleek-looking angel with blonde hair. Or perhaps they portray cute, chubby cher- little cherubs with rosy cheeks. But if that's what angels look like, why does their every appearance come with the assurance, fear not? The angel figurines in our home are rather benign, certainly not creatures that would evoke terror at their appearance. But what if Luke is right that they are really, as he says, a great company of the heavenly host, the Roman word for army, a platoon of fearsome warriors deployed by a mighty God, dazzling with blinding glory of being in his presence? Would we dare top our Christmas tree with one of those creatures? Now, this fear typified the encounters of Zechariah, Mary, Joseph, and the shepherds that they had with angels. But, you know, we live in the 21st century. I mean, we know better than to look for angels, right? Frederick Buechner, in his book Wishful Thinking, wrote, Sleight of hand magic is based on the demonstrable fact that, as a rule, people only see what they expect to see. Angels are powerful spirits whom God sends into the world to wish us well. Since we don't expect to see them, we don't. An angel spreads his glittering wings over us and we say things like, it was one of those days that made you feel good just to be alive. Or, I had a hunch everything was going to turn out all right. Or, I don't know where I ever found the courage. End quote. But what if angels are actually visible around us, even though we might not notice them or call them by that name? What if, in fact, we are called to be angels? 
From the beginning of his gospel, one of Luke's concerns for Theophilus, to whom his book is dedicated, and the rest of his audience, is that they understand what it looks like to be a believer in Jesus the Messiah. And Luke has presented us with numerous models of faith in the Christmas story. But here we're given three responses to Jesus' birth. Two new groups and a one that we've already seen her response initially, and that is Mary and her evolving faith. So let's look at these three responses and ask ourselves, what is our response this Christmas? What will be our response into the new year? After the glorious sound and light show is over and the angels return to heaven, a response to this world-changing announcement and its implications is called for. First, from the shepherds, who I'm going to call the angelic shepherds. Kind of interesting picture emerges from a word that appears three times, the Greek word rhema. It's not very obvious in the passage if you're reading it in English because it is, verily, it is translated variously as, as thing or word or sometimes just not even translated at all and just kind of understood. The word itself can mean both word and deed, and it, and it seems to reflect the fact that it's a deed that speaks, a deed that speaks, <clears throat> something that must be both seen and heard. And there's indeed an interplay of seeing and hearing in this last scene of the Christmas story. The shepherds have heard about this child from the angels, but they have yet to see him in the flesh. The parents, on the other hand, have experienced the birth and seen the newborn child, but have yet to have heard the implications of his birth. So as the two parties converge around the manger, their understanding is deepened and their responses heightened by what the other has seen and heard. How do they respond? Well, the shepherds, like Mary earlier, go with haste. It says they hurried off. Now, understand that doesn't mean that they were uh, pulling up their robes and running at a fast pace. It is, it's Luke's way throughout the, the Christmas story and throughout the, the gospel to show immediate obedience. Immediate obedience. They obeyed with haste. And faith. Because this is a word from the Lord. So, if we look at the shepherds as a model for us, it's that the shepherds respond with simple faith, believing what God has told them through his angel messengers, and with immediate obedience. Simple faith and immediate obedience, Luke seems to be saying, that's what a believer should look like. In a world in which God sometimes seems absent or silent, when the Caesars of this world and the Herods of this world seem to be in charge, can we live with the simple faith that Jesus is Lord and act with immediate obedience to him? Now, the shepherd's response actually comes out in two different places. It sandwiches the response of Mary and the people in between. After they see the child, their initial faith in obedience blossoms then into worship and witness. Worship and witness. 
In a sense, the shepherds become angels themselves. After all, the word angel literally means messenger, a messenger on behalf of God. And the shepherds' actions actually emulate the angels. They proclaim the message announced to them, and they glorify and praise God. The very same words used to the angels earlier are now used to the shepherds. Luke's trying to make that connection for us. In a sense, the shepherds join Anna, later the prophetess, as the first evangelist in the Gospel of Luke, perhaps suggesting that we are to take our cue from them. But more than just evangelists, they became angels, divine messengers. And we would do well to learn from these uneducated shepherds that complete knowledge, a seminary education, whatever, is not a prerequisite for faith and obedience, but also that faith should engender action, worship of God, and witness to others. So a question I leave for you this morning is, will we be angels to our world, announcing the good news of Jesus, not only today, but in the new year? But there are other models of response as well. Mary's response, as we might expect, is, is far deeper. She's been living with these things for nine months, wondering and trying to interpret what it all means. It's interesting the words that are used about pondering and treasuring. Uh, the word for ponder uh, is associated with a divinely given interpretation of obscure events. That's the way it usually is used. A divinely given interpretation of obscure, obscure events, while treasured, involves penetrating unclear revelation. Now, I'm not going to expect you to remember those definitions, but these words or similar ones are used in the Old Testament whenever, whenever a person is puzzled by what they've heard but keeps it in mind in order to understand, often with divine help, its meaning. And so that seems to be happening with Mary. Now the Holy Spirit hovered over her, overshadowed her to conceive Jesus, but the Holy Spirit did not overshadow her to give her divine insight, to understand what everything means. It's sometimes hard to see what God is doing in the midst of events. She's trying to put the pieces together to see the whole picture. And so Mary's response reveals that spirituality can include intellectual activity, moral reasoning. She's been living with this for nine months, her faith having been first informed by an angel and then affirmed by a spirit-filled Elizabeth and the leaping baby in her womb. The words used here then make it clear that she's taken something she doesn't completely understand and meditating on it. Meditating on it in order to inevitably see the bigger picture. And in fact, at the very end of, of Luke 2, she does the same thing again. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. Faith does not preclude intellectual activity and in fact can be enhanced, enhanced by it, Luke seems to be telling Theophilus. So this is clearly the model of a disciple, the model response of a disciple. Taking what isn't always immediately clear, especially in a word, world that makes things mud, mud, muddy and foggy, 
in a world that there's so much despair and, and suffering and wondering, is God actually working? And it takes it and allows us to meditate on it and gives us divine help by His Spirit to try to start making sense of things that probably will never make sense in this life, but only in eternity. So today, some of us may respond like Mary with a more knowledgeable faith. We've been believers in Jesus for a long time. We've seen the way God works in our lives, providentially, perhaps even through angels. Will we become angels with understanding, helping other people find depth and understanding how God works? And encouraging us all to a deeper faith. Maybe for some of us older folks here that have been Christians a long time, that's our role. That's the way we pass on the faith. But there's one more group we should pay attention to. It's usually not even thought about in the Christmas story. And for lack of a better phrase, I call them we the people. We often focus on the main characters of the Christmas story to the exclusion of this, this group that shows up occasionally, the people. They show up in several of Luke's Christmas stories and are even mentioned in some of the songs that are sung by characters in the Christmas story. So the angels not only announce that Jesus is born to you, meaning the shepherds, but that this birth is good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Perhaps the people are Luke's way of including us. He puts us in the crowd. He puts us among the people. After all, it's not as easy for us to, to uh, identify with the shepherds or with Mary who've been clued in on these things from heaven. Usually, we're much more like the people among whom the shepherds spread the word. Now, notice that the people were amazed, but not quite seeing the big picture. Amazement is often the way that people respond in Luke's Christmas story. No less than three times is the word ethamason, the, the word for amazement used of the people as they encounter something new in the Christmas story. They've not seen these things that the shepherd and the parents have been privy to. But they're asked to believe anyway, simply based on the hearing of the word. So that hearing and seeing, they only got one part of that. They only get the hearing. They, they don't get the seeing. Perhaps Theophilus and the rest of Luke's audience, including us, will identify with them. To become witnesses with actually, without actually being eyewitnesses. Remember, that, that was the role of apostles, right? When the apostles went to replace Judas, and they cast lots. The only nominees that were eligible were those who have been eyewitnesses with us of Jesus and his death and resurrection. They were eyewitnesses. But all the rest of us are simply witnesses who have heard heard from those eyewitnesses having been passed down in this relay race uh, from the manger and from the empty tomb. In a similar way, then, we may get hints that God is at work in our day, 
but we're not quite sure why and how and for what purpose. Can we learn from these stories that God is at work even when we're not privy to how it's happening? Can we move from amazement to faith? You know, as with many of Jesus' parables, the crowd's response, the people's response is left somewhat open-ended. And the parables oftentimes, it stops before we know how they, the rest of the story, how they responded. And the same is true here. Because amazement is not necessarily faith. And so we're left with the question, will they be numbered among the disciples in the future as Mary will? And the question is left to us, will we? Will we who have come to the amazement of the child in the manger go all the way to faith? So that first Christmas, different people responded to the good news in different ways. All wondered, sometimes in amazement, but not necessarily believed. Mary's response went deeper. She believed, but she didn't fully understand, so she reflected, she meditated. Hers is a a faith-seeking understanding. And the shepherds heard, believed, investigated, shared, and celebrated. They imitated the angels, glorifying God in the highest and praising Him for peace on earth. This is what the gospel does. It brings us to faith in Jesus which leads us to worship and witness. Is that how we'll respond today? Is that how we'll respond into the new year? Let's come to God in prayer. Father God, as we celebrate the birth of Jesus, we're reminded and we realize that it's not just enough to celebrate among our family and friends to give gifts, to enjoy good food and conversation, and that it's more than that. That people need to know about who this Jesus is if they want him to affect their lives, if they want him to affect our world. And so we pray that we might think about our response to the, the babe born in the manger to the suffering servant hanging on a cross, to the glorified Lord having been raised and ascended and seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling the world. And that this response might not just be a response for this week and Christmas, but a response that takes us into the new year with new goals to be witnesses, to be angels to affect others' lives, especially with the gospel message. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's respond with the, with the angels and the shepherds as we sing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It's number 80. If you're following along and lift up your hearts, we'll sing the three stanzas and let's stand to sing. <clears throat>